Section two of Under the Greenwood Tree. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Under the Greenwood Tree by Thomas Hardy. Part one, chapter two. The Tranters. It was a long, low cottage with a hipped roof of thatch, having dormer windows breaking up into the eaves, a chimney standing in the middle of the ridge and another at each end. The window shutters were not yet closed, and the fire and candlelight within radiated forth upon the thick bushes of box and laurentinus growing in clumps outside, and upon the bare boughs of several codlin trees hanging about in various distorted shapes, the result of early training as espaliers combined with careless climbing into their boughs in later years. The walls of the dwelling were for the most part covered with creepers, though these were rather beaten back from the doorway, a feature which was worn and scratched by much passing in and out, giving it by day the appearance of an old keyhole. Light streamed through the cracks and joints of outbuildings a little way from the cottage, a sight which nourished a fancy that the purpose of the erection must be rather to veil bright attractions than to shelter unsightly necessaries. The noise of a beetle and wedges, and the splintering of wood, was periodically heard from this direction, and at some little distance further, a steady, regular munching, and the occasional scurr of a rope, betokened a stable, and horses feeding within it. The choir stamped severally on the doorstone to shake from their boots any fragment of earth or leaf adhering thereto, then entered the house and looked around to survey the condition of things. Through the open doorway of a small inner room, on the right hand, of a character between pantry and cellar, was Dick Dewey's father, Reuben, by vocation a tranter or irregular carrier. He was a stout, florid man, about forty years of age, who surveyed people up and down when first making their acquaintance, and generally smiled at the horizon or other distant object during conversations with friends, walking about with a steady sway and turning out his toes very considerably. Being now occupied in bending over a hogshead that stood in the pantry ready horsed for the process of broaching, he did not take the trouble to turn or raise his eyes at the entry of his visitors, well knowing by their footsteps that they were the expected old comrades. The main room on the left was decked with bunches of holly and other evergreens, and from the middle of the beam bisecting the ceiling hung the mistletoe, of a size out of all proportion to the room, and extending so low that it became necessary for a full-grown person to walk around it in passing, or run the risk of entangling his hair. This apartment contained Mrs. Dewey, the tranter's wife, and the four remaining children, Susan, Jim, Bessie, and Charlie, graduating uniformly, though at wide stages, from the age of sixteen to that of four years, the eldest of the series being separated from Dick the firstborn by a nearly equal interval. Some circumstance had apparently caused much grief to Charlie just previous to the entry of the choir, and he had absently taken down a small looking-glass, holding it before his face, to learn how the human countenance appeared when engaged in crying, 
which survey led him to pause at the various points in each wail that were more than ordinarily striking for a thorough appreciation of the general effect. Bessie was leaning against a chair and glancing under the plaits about the waist of the plaid frock she wore to notice the original unfaded pattern of the material as there preserved, her face bearing an expression of regret that the brightness had passed away from the visible portions. Mrs. Dewey sat in a brown settle by the side of the glowing wood fire, so glowing that with a heedful compression of the lips she would now and then rise and put her hand upon the hams and flitches of bacon lining the chimney to reassure herself that they were not being broiled instead of smoked, a misfortune that had been known to happen now and then at Christmas time. "'Hello, my sonnies, here you be, then,' said Reuben Dewey at length, standing up and blowing forth a vehement gust of breath. "'How the blood do puff up in anybody's head to be sure a stupid like that! "'I was just going out to gate to hark for ye.' "'He then carefully began to wind a strip of brown paper "'round a brass tap he held in his hand. "'This in the cask here is a drop of the right sort,' tapping the cask. "'Tis a real drop of cordial from the best-picked apples, "'sansoms, stubbards, five corners, and such like.' You do mind the sort, Michael? Michael nodded. And there's a sprinkling of they that grow down by the orchard rails. Streaked ones. Rail apples, we'd a call them, as tis by the rails they grow and not knowing the right name. The water cider from em is as good as most people's best cider is. Aye, and of the same make too, said Bowman. It rained when we wrung it out and the water got into it, people will say. But tis only an excuse. Watered cider is too common among us. Yes, yes, too common it is, said Spinks with an inward sigh, whilst his eyes seemed to be looking at the case in an abstract form rather than at the scene before him. Such poor liquor to make a man's throat feel very melancholy, and is a disgrace to the name of stimulant. Come in, come in, and draw up to the fire. Never mind your shoes said Mrs. Dewey, seeing that all except Dick had paused to wipe them upon the doormat. I am glad that you've stepped up along at last, and Susan, you run down to Grammar Kate's and see if you can borrow some larger candles than these fourteens. Tommy Leaf, don't ye be afeard, come and sit here in the settle. This was addressed to the young man before mentioned, consisting chiefly of a human skeleton and a smock-frock, who was very awkward in his movements, apparently on account of having grown so very fast that before he had had time to get used to his height, he was higher. He, aye, replied Leaf, letting his mouth continue to smile for some time after his mind had done smiling, so that his teeth remained in view as the most conspicuous member of his body. Here, Mr. Penny, resumed Mrs. Dewey, you sit in this chair, and how's your daughter, Mrs. Brownjohn? Well, I suppose I must say pretty fair. He adjusted his spectacles a quarter of an inch to the right. But she'll be worse before she's better, I believe. Indeed, poor soul. And how many will that make in all, four or five? Five, 
They've buried three. Yes, five. And she not much more than a maid yet. She do know the multiplication tables unmistakable well. However, twas to be, and none can gainsay it. Mrs. Dewey resigned Mr. Penny. Wonder where your grandfather James is? she inquired of one of the children. He said he'd drop in to-night. Out in Fuel House with Grandfather William, said Jimmy. Now, let's see what we can do, was heard spoken about this time by the tranter in a private voice to the barrel beside which he had again established himself and was stooping to cut away the cork. Reuben, don't make such a mess of tapping that barrel as is mostly made in this house, Mrs. Dewey cried from the fireplace. I'd tap a hundred without wasting more than you do in one. Such a squizzling and squirting job as tis in your hands. There, he always was such a clumsy man indoors. Ay, ay, I know you'd tap a hundred, beautiful Anne, I know you would. Two hundred, perhaps, but I can't promise. This is an old cask, and the wood's rotted away about the tap-hole. The husband of a feller, Sam Lawson, that ever I should call in such, now he's dead and gone, poor heart, took me in completely upon the feet of buying this cask. Rube, says he, I always used to call me plain Rube, poor old heart. Rube, he says, says he, that there cask, Rube, is as good as new. Yes, good as new. Tis a wine hogshead. The best port wine in the Commonwealth has been in that there cask, and you shall have un for ten shillings, Rube, I said, says he. He's worth twenty, ay, five and twenty if he's worth one, and an iron hoop or two put round un among the wood ones will make un worth thirty shillings of any man's money if... I think I should have used the eyes that Providence gave me to use afore I paid any ten shillings for a jim-crack wine-barrel. A saint is sinner enough not to be cheated, but tis like all your family was, so easy to be deceived. That's as true as gospel of this member, said Reuben. Mrs. Dewey began a smile at the answer. Then, altering her lips and refolding them so that it was not a smile, commenced smoothing little Bessie's hair. The tranter, meanwhile, having suddenly become oblivious to conversation, occupying himself in a deliberate cutting and arrangement of some more brown paper for the broaching operation. Ah, who can believe sellers? said old Michael Mayle in a carefully cautious voice, by way of tiding over this critical point of affairs. "'No one at all,' said Joseph Bowman, in the tone of a man fully agreeing with everybody. "'Aye,' said Mayle, in the tone of a man who did not agree with everybody as a rule, though he did now. "'I knowed a auctioneering feller once, a very friendly feller I was, too.' And so, one hot day, as I was walking down the front street of Casterbridge, just below the King's Arms, I passed an open window and see him inside, stuck upon his perch, a-selling off. 
I just nodded to un in a friendly way as I passed, and went my way, and thought no more about it. Well, next day, as I was oiling my boots by fuel house door, if a letter didn't come, we a bill charging me with a feather bed, bolster, and pillars that I had bid for at Mr. Taylor's sale. The slim-faced martel had knocked em down to me, because I nodded to un in my friendly way, and I had to pay for em too. Now, I hold that was coming it very close, Reuben. "'Twas close, there's no denying,' said the general voice. "'Too close, twas,' said Reuben, in the rear of the rest. "'And as to Sam Lawson, poor heart, now he's dead and gone too, "'I'll warrant that if so be I've spent one hour in making hoops for that barrel, "'I've spent fifty first and last. "'That's one of my hoops,' touching it with his elbow. "'That's one of mine.' and that, and that, and all these. Ah, Sam was a man, said Mr. Penny contemplatively. Sam was, said Bowman. Especially for a drap of drink, said the tranter. Good, but not religious good, suggested Mr. Penny. The tranter nodded, having at last made the tap and hole quite ready. Now then, Suze, bring a mug, he said. Here's luck to us, my sonnies. The tap went in, and the cider immediately squirted out in a horizontal shower over Reuben's hands, knees and leggings, and into the eyes and neck of Charlie, who, having temporarily put off his grief under pressure of more interesting proceedings, was squatting down and blinking near his father. "'There tis again,' said Mrs. Dewey. "'Devil take the hole, the cask, and Sam Lawson too. "'That good cider should be wasted like this!' exclaimed the tranter. "'Your thumb! Lend me your thumb, Michael! "'Ram it in here, Michael. I must get a bigger tap, my sonnies.' "'Is it cold inside the hole?' inquired Charlie of Michael, as he continued in a stooping posture with his thumb in the cork-hole. "'What wonderful odds and ends that child has in his head, to be sure!' Mrs. Dewey admiringly exclaimed from the distance. "'I lay a wager that he thinks more about how tis inside that barrel than in all the other parts of the world put together.' All persons present put on a speaking countenance of admiration for the cleverness alluded to, in the midst of which Reuben returned. The operation was then satisfactorily performed. When Michael arose and stretched his head to the extremest fraction of height that his body would allow of, to re-straighten his back and shoulders, thrusting out his arms and twisting his features to a mass of wrinkles to emphasise the relief acquired. A quart or two of the beverage was then brought to table, at which all the new arrivals reseated themselves with widespread knees, their eyes meditatively seeking out any speck or knot in the board upon which the gaze might precipitate itself. "'Whatever is father abiding out in fuel house for so long?' said the tranter. "'Never such a man as father for two things, cleaving up old dead apple-tree wood, and—' playing the bass vial. 
"'Ud pass his life between the two, that a would. He stepped to the door and opened it. Father, I rang thinly from round the corner. Here's the barrel tapped, and we all are waiting. A series of dull thuds that had been heard without for some time past now ceased, and after the light of a lantern had passed the window and made wheeling rays upon the ceiling inside, the eldest of the Dewey family appeared. End of section two. Recording by Rachel Linton, Bristol, UK.